Amen. Amen. Welcome to Lake Avenue Church. Whether you are in this space with us this morning or whether you are on the screen, we are grateful to be the body of Christ. We do have some very treasured friends and guests with us this morning here in the room. Uh, the Walter Hoving Home Choir is with us. Can we greet them? And I, I, I hope you know that uh, Katrice Sutton, who's part of our worship ministry, uh, is the leader of the Walter Hoving Home Choir. Catrice, thank you. So I had the best seat in the house because you knew exactly where to sing in that last song to enhance Catrice, but we are grateful. And I know that our former pastor and my dear friend, Pastor Greg, was such a, a great friend, and we were speaking yesterday and this morning, and he just wanted me to say hello, and he misses you deeply. And so from our, from our friend Greg, friend, pastor. On Friday, around 4.30, Pastor Chuck and I found ourselves at a restaurant to connect. Early on in our conversation, we both said something like this. You know, if the Lord wanted to come back today, I'm ready. And we both just sat there, and what was behind that comment was just the reality of the world we live in and all that fills up our days, and as pastors in particular, recognizing um, just how heavy it can be, uh, to, be a, to be a pastor right now in this world. The heaviness of the world, the division of the world, the difficulty um, of life is heavy. And I do long for that day, I pray you do. Long for that day where Jesus will return and all will be made right. And yet the text we're going to look at today and next week is Jesus preparing us not for necessarily that second coming, but preparing you and me for faithfulness today in this life. So in those moments where it's heavy, where it's dark, we have great instruction and we're able to glimpse into the very heart of Jesus to how he prays for us. On Easter this year, we looked at this final movement in this prayer of Jesus in John 17, where he prays for you and for me very specifically as future believers. And after Easter, just something deep inside of my heart, I believe it's the Holy Spirit, said, stay in this prayer just for a couple of more weeks. And as we look at the fullness of John 17, what we will see is that there are three movements to Jesus' prayer. One, he prays for himself, his glorification. Then he prays for his immediate disciples. And then he prays for future believers. And where we're going to be the next two weeks is this prayer for the immediate disciples. And so understand this as we look at the text in a moment. Jesus is praying this for his 12, arguably his 11 at that point. He's praying for them specifically because here's what we know on this side of history. As hard as life can feel for us, as uncertain as tomorrow can feel, we've got 11 people who have been told they're going to change the world. 11 people who are going to lose their teacher and leader in just hours. 11 people have been told over and over again about the ways of God and that this coming of the Holy Spirit. 11 people are going to face a harder world than you and I live in 
and how Jesus prays for them to live out their lives, I pray would speak to you and me and give us encouragement on how to live out our lives. But I want you to be warned. This prayer of Jesus is huge. In fact, N.T. Wright, one of my favorite theologians, says this about the prayer of Jesus, the one we will study. He says, be careful. This is a serious prayer. It's one of the most serious things Jesus ever said. That's why, deep down, it's also one of the most joyful and hopeful. So pray this prayer with awe and with delight. If you have a copy of the scriptures, we'll be in John 17, starting in verse 13. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth, and your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. There are three observations from John 17 that we'll cover this week and next week. This is a two-part message. We need this week to understand next week. What we're going to see is Jesus clarifies the mission of the disciples, and he says, and he gives them two keys to actually being faithful in their mission. Today, we're going to look at the first key, which is this instruction to be sanctified in the truth and that the word of God is truth. And then a familiar thing that we talked about on Easter next week we'll talk about is he just keeps coming back to unity. But we can't fully understand unity of the believers without understanding sanctification and specifically sanctification by the word of God. So let's just journey together, set the table, and understand first that Jesus is speaking to disciples about their mission. And I believe the mission he has for the disciples is the very same mission he has for you and for me. And if you were to summarize it in one word, our mission is that we are sent. It says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Notice this distinction that Jesus is teaching between being of the world and being of Jesus. We get a glimpse into the reality that this other, this world versus being a part of Jesus comes with the evil one and difficulty and darkness. And Jesus' prayer is to protect them from the evil one in the world. He is not praying that they are taken out of the world. This will be important in a moment. So we have to recognize that there is evil and an evil one. And while evil and the evil one are clearly described, protection is prayed for, 
By the way, that same protection from the evil one, we need that prayer as we live our lives of faithfulness, just as the disciples did. But notice that Jesus is not praying that we shun, that we leave, that we depart from the world, or even that we depart from being near the evil of the world. Rather, we are sent. We are sent into the world just as Jesus was sent by his Father into the world. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. This is an incredibly consistent part of what it means to be a Christian. This is an incredibly consistent part of the story of God, that God is collecting a people that as people come to faith in God and center God in their lives, they become part of the mission that God has to proclaim his name and his ways in this world. This didn't just start in this prayer. In fact, it backs up to Genesis. By the 12th chapter of Genesis, we already begin to see God's heart and his plan to use his people to declare his name and to declare his ways into this world with Abraham. You are probably familiar with the Abrahamic covenant to which God tells Abraham in Genesis 12, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. One easy way to understand this covenant that God makes with Abraham is he's saying to Abraham, I have blessed you very specifically so that you can be a blessing to the world. Blessed to be a blessing. And arguably what we see for the rest of the Old Testament are God's people attempting to be faithful to being the blessing that God has called them to be. And what we see time and time again are people attempting to be faithful to being a blessing to this world, to being faithful to God and his ways, but missing the mark. Yet God's grace comes over and over and over again and the promise of the Messiah. And Jesus now is the Messiah who's continuing this idea that I have been sent by God to demonstrate to the world who, I, who God is. And the mission of the people of God is to be a sent people, a people not of the world, but of God, who are sent into the world to bring the gospel, to bring the good news of Jesus, just as Jesus was sent into the world, you and me and you were sent into the world by God. And I know that there is a, a deep, deep part of us when we gather for worship where we say amen to this. But the reality is the people of God have always, over history and even today, had a very complicated relationship with this idea of being in the world and sent into the world or being of the world. In fact, when Jesus was alive, the expectations of the people of God, there was a group of people called the Essenes. And they were this separatist group. They kind of nomadically lived around the desert because they believed the best way they could be faithful to God was to separate themselves from the rest of the world and be overly pious and overly religious and, and distant from a non-believing world. And Jesus comes into the scene and he starts stepping into places that rabbis didn't step foot in. He stepped towards people that the culture said you don't step foot toward. 
He spent time with those on the margins of society, those who were shunned socially. And he breaks all of that, demonstrating to you and me what it looks like to be sent by God in this world to fulfill his mission. I don't know if you can identify. I think when Chuck and I were talking on Friday night, there was a real part of us that was saying, I don't want to be sent into this world anymore. It's too hard. I'm tired of being sent into this world. Can you struggle with that? Can you identify that oftentimes our prayers are to be removed from the world rather than praying what Jesus prayed is that we would be protected from the evil one so that we can live the mission that God has given us to be sent into this world. This is not a light mission. This is not an easy call. And Jesus doesn't just end with giving a prayer about our mission in this world. He gives, as I told you at the beginning, just two very basic how-tos. How can you be successful? How can you be faithful in living the mission of being sent into this world just as Jesus was sent? Being sanctified in the truth and being one as God is one. Next week, we'll talk about being one as God is one. But today, let's focus on verse 17. The key to living mission, what Jesus prays for alongside defining our mission, is that we would be sanctified by the truth. He goes on to say that your word, speaking of his Father's word, is truth. Now, sanctification is not a word we use that often in our normal lives. In fact, this is probably the only environment where we hear that word. So to sanctify is to be set apart for a special purpose or use. Now, before we put holy onto that, I think about our, our, my grandmother's china that's in our house. It sits in one space, and it is set apart so that once every seven years, we pull it out and use it. It's set apart for a special purpose. Now, when we talk about sanctification as followers of God, we are set apart for a special purpose to be holy as God is holy. Now, there's a difference, real quick here, between justification and sanctification. Sanctification is not the work that we do so that God accepts us. This is not a religion based on doing a lot of things so that we can be justified. No, justification is the one-time act of following Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, where you are forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross and you are in right relationship with God. In Hebrews 10, it says, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Justification, being a sinner turned to God, being forgiven by the person and work and cross and redemption of Jesus Christ happens once and for all. In fact, in John 13, remember when Jesus is washing his feet, he says, you don't need to keep coming back for this washing. But sanctification is the daily living. It's the daily journey of now living out this justified faith. And in very plain words, to be sanctified is to be changed. To be sanctified is to be changed or to be growing in our obedience to God and his word. So when Jesus says to be sanctified in the truth, it's in essence about one's relationship with God through our relationship with him, specifically through his word. What does that mean? No word of God? 
in our lives, don't expect much change in your life. No truth in your life, don't expect much connection with God in your life. Not a growing relationship with God, hanging out on those same things you knew 20, 30, 40 years ago. Growing relationship with God. And we can only grow and be changed in our mission by our relationship with God and our connection to his word. The great late Martin Lloyd-Jones says when Jesus talks about this word, the word of God being the truth, what he's talking about is the whole word of God, the large truth, the whole truth, not the smaller subsections of truth that are within, but the full story of God, the full word of God, not selected truths. And what Jesus says is to be sanctified in the truth and his, God's word is the truth and we need this sanctification process to be changed, to be growing in our mission. We have to submit to the whole truth, the whole word of God. It is much easier, friends, to just pick out particular truths in the word of God and make them the whole truth. The whole truth of the word of God is, is humbling. We'll get there in a moment. But we have to recognize there is a temptation. Just as there is a temptation for us to create a different mission that says, I don't go into this world, there is also a temptation that's been present over all of history and even today to not submit to the full word of God. In fact, history is just time and time again, folks pulling away from the mission, shrinking and adjusting the truth or the word of God. I'll just give you one example that's distant enough from us today that hopefully it doesn't cause too much controversy. But you guys have ever heard of the Jefferson Bible? I know we like to think of all of the founding fathers of this country as just adamant evangelical Christians. Thomas Jefferson was a deist. And, and what Thomas Jefferson did is he created his own Bible, literally with a razor. You can go see this. You can go see this in the, I think, the Museum of the Bible. He took a razor blade and cut out the parts of what he liked about Jesus' teaching that were moral and ethical, and he excluded parts that had anything to do with supernatural, with healing, even the resurrection. And then he said, this, this is the version of Jesus that I worship. Jefferson condensed, compositional, excluded all miracles by Jesus and most mentions of the supernatural, including sections of the four gospels that contain resurrection and most other miracles, passages that portray Jesus as divine. This is shrinking. This is reducing. This is saying, I'm, I'm moved by the morals of this book, but I'm not submitting to the fullness of the truth, and I'm not interested in growing to the fullness of God's word. And the same is true for us today. The same is true over history. And I will say to you, I think there have been honest attempts by followers of Jesus to be faithful to the word of God. And even in the attempt to be faithful, falling short of the very teaching of the Bible. Scripture has been used to justify a lot of horrible things, past and present. And so you and I need help. We need help to learn just what it means to be faithful. What does it actually look like to be sanctified by the truth of the word of God? To be changed, to grow. 
Because for us to be faithful to the mission that God has called us to, we have to be sanctified by the truth. And so I'm just going to give you three or four helpful kind of categories to think about how you approach the Word of God and how we can be sanctified by the Word of God just to help have an internal metric of how we know we're kind of in the faithfulness zone. And the first one is this. Make sure that the object of our sanctification is God and God alone. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones has some powerful things to say about this. He said, this is about a relationship with God, not our relationship to the world. But oftentimes in our conversation about, about uh, the truth of God and the truths within Scripture, we're often placing ourselves as the object of faithfulness, and the object of sanctification is God and God alone. Sin plays into this because sin is essentially at its core selfishness. Sin is forgetting about God. And here is the, the great freedom of being sanctified by God and the Word of God, is we don't deal with sin by just trying harder in our behavior. We deal with sin if sin in its course, forgetting about God, being sanctified by the truth is coming back to God. It's allowing God to change us. The antidote for sin is God. We deal with sin not by focusing on the behavior in and of itself, but by coming back to God, by focusing on our relationship with God. When we focus on the behavior as primary, that's a, a funky kind of legalism that has not been helpful to the people of God. It is God who is the object of our, of our sanctification journey. It is God who does the work on us and through us through the word of truth. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God, for it is God who works in you and will to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It is God who does the changing, and we come to have that growth and change by coming to be sanctified by his word when we make him the object of our sanctification focus. What's our posture in sanctification? Now, if God is our object, then naturally, our posture has to be one of humility. We have to come to God and his word with great humility. In fact, in James chapter 4, we studied this earlier this year, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. We don't come to God's word arrogantly and confidently and we've got it all figured out, putting ourselves in the story of what it means to understand God. No, we come to God and his word with great humility because when God is the object of our sanctification journey, we must come to God with great humility, recognizing that God is the one who changes us. God is the one who does the work. God is the one who's given us an opportunity to join him on mission in this world. So God is our object. We, our posture in sanctification is humility. The practice of sanctification, friends, be ready. It is lifelong. And it is toward God over and over and over again. In Philippians chapter 1, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What does that mean? 
means prayerfully what you will see in me as your pastor, as long as God has me here, is that my being sanctified by the word of God prayerfully will only grow in my life. Being sanctified by the word of God isn't something you arrive at or test out of or get to a super spiritual level where you stop growing and you stop learning. Sanctification is lifelong and God who is faithful to bring it to completion until that day when Christ comes back or he brings us home. The practice of sanctification is lifelong. Let me ask you just a real practical question that convicts me. Are your convictions and your epiphanies about God, what are the new ones? Tell me, church, that I'm not just giving you truths from when I was 20 years old. Tell me that, that as we come to God's word and we make God the object of our life and we live out his mission, we come to him humbly, that he is faithful to teach and teach and reteach and teach. The practice of sanctification, the evidence and the practice of sanctification, ultimately, here's another thing we can put a hook on, is it ought to be framed and embedded in love. What does it mean to pursue God? To pursue God through his word? Mark 12, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, everything. He just wants everything. The evidence of being changed, the evidence of being sanctified by God through his word will show up in our relationship with God being marked by words like love and intimacy. It will show up in the way we not only love God and love time with God and love to worship God and love to learn from God and to be connected with God. It will also show up in our ability to love others. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. The evidence of being sanctified by God through his word shows up in our ability to love God and love other people. And I tell you, I've said this too many times. Why does that sound so cliche to so many of us? It's the very heart of what God's building. People who love him and people who love one another. This is part of our mission to be sent in this world, to demonstrate to the world who God is and God's deep love for you and for me and for all people. So how might we apply this, church? I think there's some of us who need a reminder, as I did on Friday at 4.30, of what, what the mission of this life is for. That God hasn't called me to be separate from the difficulty and the darkness of this world. He's called me into it. And you and I have the great privilege of being sent into the world. Does anybody else need a mission correction? I need one. Maybe for some of you, the application of this journey is the very idea of being changed and growing, being sanctified by God through his word. Maybe for many of us, we focus way more on our responsibility within sanctification rather than focusing on the very relationship with God 
and allowing God through his word to be the, to be the one who creates change. Too many of us are focused thinking the way we're going to beat sin is by getting harder on ourselves and get a tight, tighter lip and, and, and just muscle through and I'm just so lazy. The antidote for sin is God. And we need to turn to God through his word and in prayer and with one another to beat the dark forces that take over our life. Victory is possible, but not on your own, friends. Sanctification happens when we focus on our relationship with God, not our relationship with the world. For some of you, maybe the application is sanctification and following Jesus is lifelong, and not just lifelong coming to church, but lifelong submitting over and over and over again to God through his word. I can't answer this for you. I can only answer it for myself, but there are plenty of times where I feel like I've got it all figured out. where I, I, I pretty much think I know what God thinks about most things. And I think the invitation to being sanctified by the word and the word being truth holds onto a confidence that God gives us, but always with the humility of learning and growing more. And ultimately, maybe the application for some is, is your journey with Jesus, is your relationship with Jesus causing you to love people more or less? There's a final verse here in verse 19 we'll close on. Jesus speaks to this love he has for you and for me, this love that ought to fuel our life. When he says, for them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus saying, for them, here's how much I love them. I'm gonna set myself aside for a special purpose. That purpose is the forgiveness of sin the redemption of the world, making all things right. Jesus separates himself for a special purpose to die on that cross, to be raised from the dead so that you and I can be set apart for a special purpose, so that you and I can, can leave the kingdom of the world and enter the kingdom of God, that you and I won't be defined by our sin or our mistakes, we'll be, de we'll be, we'll be defined by his love and his grace. And this morning, wherever you are, if you're on the screen, if you're in the room, if you're over the airwaves, if you have not accepted the wonderful gift of Jesus, Jesus removing himself, being sanctified on that cross so that you and I can enter into a new way of living in this life, where we're given a mission in this life, where we get the opportunity to grow and change through God in relationship with God, I invite you to begin that journey. It's very easy to just say, God, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus and setting him apart so that I can be a part of you. And then reach out to someone you're sitting next to. Reach out to someone on the screen. Call our prayer hotline and we want to walk with you in a new relationship with God. Join me in prayer. Father, we need your help. We recognize, especially this week, what a dark and difficult world you've placed us in. Some of us wake up today with our mind in New Delhi with the reality of, of 25,000 infections in one day. We're overwhelmed by that. 
Father, some of us wake up and, and, and are reminded of just how many shootings are happening in this country and we're grieved, Father. Some of us wake up with great anxiety and concern and literal fear for verdicts that will be announced in coming days. Father, the darkness of this world is evident and it is clear, but we are coming as your children and saying, God, help us to be faithful to our calling to be in all of this, that we would be people who are being changed by you, growing in you so that we might overflow with love for those, God, like myself, who would much rather at times have a different mission, we ask for your forgiveness. For those like myself who think we've got you all figured out, we ask for humility. For those like myself who find it hard to love unlovable people, we ask for your perfect love to heal. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.